right, we welcome you back. We welcome you back. We're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning. That's in your New Testament. It's one of Paul's, he would write 13 epistles. We call them letters. And so Philippians is one of those. He writes it from where? Where? Prison, yes. So Philippians would be considered one of the prison epistles, along with Colossians, I believe Philemon, and Ephesians would be the called the prison epistles he writes from prison and it's kind of ironic because it is kind of a cheerful book in a lot of ways and so to think that he is writing a book that talks about joy not to be anxious about anything um, that happens in Philippians while he's in prison so let's um, let's talk a little bit about this here um, this is what my Bible says at the beginning it says that the Church of Philippi ranked among Paul's favorites, okay? This friendly and personal letter stresses that joy can be found in any situation. Paul delivers his own testimony on the meaning of his present life, encourages his readers, and instructs them in living in harmony with others in obedience to God. So um, Paul was a well-educated Jew. He had dual citizenship, so he was Jewish, but he also had a Roman citizenship. He knew several languages. And because of that, God opened up many doors. He also had many skills. He was a tent maker. And so when he's on his missions trips, uh, traveling s- through certain places sometimes, um, he didn't have any means of income, and so he would build, he would make tents, and that would provide for him and his traveling companions. All right? Uh, we first hear about Paul in the book of Acts. There we go. I was hearing it. In the book of Acts, Right? Uh, I believe it's Acts chapter 9. He is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He is very zealous for the Jewish faith. And uh, he saw these Christians as getting in the way of that. And so he actually persecuted them. And Stephen was one that was stoned at his hands. He gave the the orders for that and it was under his direction. So um, Paul was very zealous. But on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, God, he has an encounter with God. God knocks him off his donkey. He can't see. He's blinded. Um, and so he ends up going to Damascus. He's prayed for by Ananias. Um, God says, hey, I want you to go pray. Pray for this persecutor of Christians. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Ananias was all excited about that, right? Hey, you're going to send me where? And so the scales fall off of his eyes. He comes to know Christ. And he goes through a process. It wasn't just overnight he begins sharing his faith. He does. And he does so probably in a way that he has to escape through a hole in the wall, a window in the wall, in a basket to escape the city he was in because they were ready to kill him. All right. So he was sharing the truth about Christ, but probably needed to learn how to share it in a way that had some grace and compassion in there. All right. Um, and But then we know that after this period of time, he ends up in the church in Antioch, him and Barnabas, and God calls them out. They're having a prayer meeting one night and says, I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to do. And so they begin on what we call the first missionary journey. So there's three missionary journeys. You find them in the book of Acts. It's actually an Acts chapter. Um, let me pull it up here. I'll get to that, but it's an Acts on his second missionary journey, he's going to go into Asia, and God says, no, he closes the door. We don't know what that means, that God closed the door. All we know is that 
the door closed for Paul. And so during the night, he has this vision, and God says, I'm calling you to Macedonia. So they get on the next ship. They go to Macedonia. The first place they land is the city of Philippi. All right? And uh, so we're gonna talk, we'll talk more about that. And they become a very dear church to him. And by that, I mean that as he would go from place to place and start churches, the church in Philippi would support him through their prayers, through their giving, and even sending people to him in prison to take care of his needs. So they were invested in what Paul had to do. And that is where we really get that sense of partnership and fellowship in the gospel, that um, they were in this thing together with him. All right, and that's what I've kind of entitled the message today. So, um, all right. I like the book of Philippians because it flows from maturity, and it flows from Paul's life. He sees the big picture. Okay, he has experience. He has scars on his body. He he's learned to walk with God. He's not a new believer at this point. He he's a little seasoned, and so this book really. Um, flows with maturity that he understands how God works in our lives even in the difficulties of life that God can be working for our good amen 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 all right <laughs> a little weak there all right and some of the songs talked about that you know and I and I think about that even as we are um, see today is the 13th so next Sunday will be two years that when they said hey you can't have church for several months right and then we started back up in June. It was March 22nd, all right? That uh, that was our first Sunday that we went online. And, you know, so, you know, some of us may be saying, you know, I'll be happy when COVID is no longer part of the picture. And, you know, all we're thinking about is Ukraine right now. Or I'll be happy when food and gas prices return to normal, all right? <laughs> or I'll be happy when there's peace in Europe. Or I'll be happy when you fill in the blanks. Right? There's always going to be something in our world that maybe could, that is beyond us and circumstances that are out of our control. Paul found out that peace, the joy, and contentment was not based on his circumstances and his surroundings. It was based upon his relationship in Christ. And that's why he can write the letter he does to the Philippians from prison. All right? The attitudes we see in the book of Philippians are marks of maturity. And so I want us to look at, uh, as we begin in this first part of Philippians chapter 1. So before we do this, bow our heads in prayer. Let's just invite God's presence. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is quick and it is powerful. It is your living word to us, to help us, to guide us, direct us, Lord, to guide us in the way to be like you. And whether it's in our attitudes, our behaviors, in, uh, in mission, what you've called us to do to reach the world. Father, um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying to your church this morning. We give you thanks. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's read this together this morning. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants, isn't that interesting, of Jesus Christ. Come back to that. To God's holy people in Christ, Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. I always pray for you uh, with joy because of your partnership, that's that word koinonia in the Greek, in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a good verse to underline. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share. There's kind of that idea of partnership again at Koinonia in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ. Now in the, yeah, I'll come back to that. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Amen? Um, Just a beautiful way to start off a letter. So let's go back and catch some of this. First of all, Paul says, hey, um, Paul and Timothy, we are servants of Jesus Christ, slaves of Christ, right? That says a lot. Paul is is a leader. He's a spiritual leader. He's an apostle. In some of his letters, he does say apostle, but in this letter, he says, we are servants of Jesus Christ. And it really represents what God has called us all to, that we serve God. We use that terminology, and that's where it comes from, is that we serve God. He's our king, and he's our Lord. And Paul understands that. And then he says to the to those the people in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now, God's holy people, the idea there is maybe some of your translations even say to the saints in Philippi. Does any of your Bible say that, your translation? To the saints? Yes, okay. And so saints. Now, the probably the last time you used the word saints is when you were talking about the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees or something like that, right? It's not a word that we commonly use a lot, but that word saint means that it's how God sees you because Christ died on the cross for your sins and he's extended to you his righteousness. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failures. He sees Christ's righteousness in your life. And therefore, you are a saint. You've been called out. You belong to him and you're pure and holy before him because of what Jesus did on the cross. You're a saint. All right? And some of you maybe need to hear that this morning. And I know some of you don't live like a saint, but that's what God calls us to, right? He calls us all to be like him, and we can be righteous and pure because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Amen? And he writes it to also the overseers and deacons. So we don't, some of these terms we use, overseer literally means bishop. So some denominations use that term bishop quite a bit. Um, that would be a term that we would use for a pastor, usually, or maybe even uh, a presbyter, okay? And then deacon um, is ones that are called to serve, and we use that for like our board members and stuff like that, a deacon. But a deacon is even beyond that. It doesn't mean that you just oversee the affairs of the church. It also means you are one that is called to serve, okay? Uh, That's what it typically literally means. A deacon is one that is called to serve. You lead a ministry and you are using your gifts and talents to serve God. All right. So he writes it to them and he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. So grace was a Roman, a Greek welcome. Okay. A Gentile welcome. Grace. And peace or shalom was a Hebrew welcome. Right. And so Paul is saying grace and peace. And so that is his audience. His audience isn't just Jewish. His audience isn't just Gentiles. Now, Paul was called to be a light to the, to the Gentiles. All right. But he, as he went from town to town, he first went to the Jews and then he went to the Gentiles. 
and he preached Christ to all that would listen, all right? So he gives a welcome that welcomes all of them, and it, it would connect with each of them, all right, whether Jew or Gentile. And Paul, in this first part here, you really see the relationship that he has with the Philippians. He says, just some of his terminology, he says, you know, um, I, I think of you because of my, your partnership with me in the gospel, that koinonia, all right? And then he goes down to verses 7 and 8. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Okay, it's like, okay, maybe you're writing your, your girlfriend or you're writing your boyfriend or your husband or your wife. And some of that terminology, he says, man, I have you in my heart. You, you guys have been with me through the thick and the thin and the, the blessings of God. And when it's been difficult, you've been with me. There's affection there he has for these people and how they have been there with him. All right. And he says, my heart is filled with good thoughts about you. I thank you for the partnership that you have been and provided for me. The, and so there's that idea that we're in this thing together. Even though Paul was the one out there going to different places, sharing Christ, or even in prison at this point, Paul had the sense that they were there with him and they were providing for his needs. They were praying for him, even sending people there to help him out. All right? And then he even says in verse 6, I like this, he says, I am confident to this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it into the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful passage? That, you should have that underlined because there's going to be days in your life where you're going to doubt that yourself and think, man, I just messed up. You know what? I was so sold out for God. I was doing the right thing and I was following God and I tripped up. And I just, just fell flat on my face. You ever fell flat on your face? And knocked the wind out of you. I had that once. I fell out of a tree once, right, when I was a kid. And then I, one time I was going over a fence and fell. And twice I remember getting the wind knocked out of me. Actually, three times. That was when I was crackback sweep, and that was the defensive end. And I got the bad end of the crackback sweep by our fullback, Scott Verwest. I still remember his name. <laughs> yes. All right. He goes, but I'm confident that God is going to complete the work in you. You know, and I still think that is speaks to each of us still today that, that God works in our lives, and it's not always just this straight upward track. God works in our lives, and it's ups and downs, and he doesn't leave you, he doesn't forsake you, he doesn't forget about you. Amen? All right. Compassion, verse 8, that's where he says, I long with you the affection of Christ. And if you really get into the Greek there, it means with his guts, right? Why would he say with my guts, I love you? Because that's where we sometimes feel, that's where we feel affection, don't we? In our chest, in our guts, we feel it there. And so these are very literal terms, but he says, man, when I think of you, I feel it in the inside. It's not just something I'm just saying off the top of my head. It's something that I feel deep within me, all right? And he complete, completes this prayer with just that they would know the discernment of God to know what is best. So I, I want to pull out some points uh, from this, all right? So we're ready for some points, and you jot those down. All right, so here we go. So what can we take away from this passage? First of all, number one, found in verses 3, 7, and 8, is advancing God's kingdom takes partnership. So when we look at this for a church or we even look at the church 
all capital letters. Okay? You know, and it just isn't just the Assemblies of God. It's the Baptists, the Methodists, the Catholics, the Lutherans. When we think the church as a whole, it takes partnership. It has, since Christ walked this earth, and it has up to this point, it takes us all working together to do the gospel. Um, fellowship includes the events that, we, you know, we have at our, our family feast. You know, we'll have fellowship. But fellowship is much deeper than that. It is that idea of partnership that we are all linking arms together to reach and take the gospel to Crete, Nebraska, Lincoln, our state, and our nation, and our world. Amen. All right. So if you're sitting by somebody, I want you to link some arms this morning. All right. Even if it's your mom or your dad. All right. All right. Basketball players do it all the time, right, before they go out on the, go out on the basketball court, right? All right. And what we do that, why? It symbolizes that, hey, we're in this together, you know, and a lot of athletes will do that because in the course of a game, there's going to be times where they're ahead and there are times that they're behind, and they know that if they're going to have a chance to win, they have to stick together, right? They have to stick together. Um, you think about the church in Ukraine right now and just how difficult, even though the church is small there, folks, just what they are going through and just sticking together through that um, and how important that is. And uh, even like organizations like Convoy of Hope, who we help support, and you can give through the assemblies through that. If you just look up Convoy of Hope, they're on the border countries there, and they are ministering to the refugees that are coming through. You know what? And just a little segue on that, we sometimes look at that and say, God, why are you allowing things like that to happen? It's so you know, well, there are sinful people in our world. There are evil people in our world that do bad things, okay? But I also know that God can use things like this. And sometimes missions happens when we go to other countries. Sometimes missions happens when God sends those people to us, all right? How many know somebody that is Ukrainian? Okay, all right. And, you know, Lincoln is a refuge city, so I have a feeling if they haven't shown up there yet, we're going to have people from the Ukraine that are going to show up here in Nebraska and in Lincoln, Nebraska, all right? Because they're going to need a home, right? Some of them are going to stay in Europe, but some of them are going to probably come here. They can't, they can't deal with all of them there. And, and so God sometimes sends them to us to be uh, reached. And so we don't always understand what God is doing. All we know is that God is at work, and we need to pray that God is by his will. He's... he's uh, He's there, and as these relief organizations are there, they're able to meet and minister to people in their time of need and share Christ with them. Maybe their heart wasn't open before, but now, through compassion, they're open to God's grace. Amen? Amen. All right. So as the church, we support missionaries. So we had Luke and Bethany uh, Storer here with us last week, and, uh, you know, you guys gave... A very good offering, one of the best uh, missionary offerings that we've uh, that we've given. You gave to them, so that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool, and um, so we're partnering with them to reach people in the continent of Africa, right? And so that is a partnership, right? We're not going to Africa, but we are supporting them through our prayers and our support, and so we're able to help reach people from Africa, and someday when we get to heaven, we'll maybe, see, maybe God will give us that opportunity to, to see and say, you know what, 
the money you gave and the prayers that you prayed helped bring this person to know Christ. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I think God will give us that ability. All right? So sharing the gospel takes partnership. Second of all, it takes confidence. Advancing God's kingdom takes confidence. Now, we need confidence for to live, to do athletics, to do our job. It takes confidence. If you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to go out there and get it done, right? Right? And some of you, you know, in the world, I use the athletics a lot for this. And it's hard not to watch a game and not hear that word confidence come up when you watch a football game, a basketball game, a baseball game. They'll talk about confidence a lot. And if you don't, you'll, you'll see athletes that have too much confidence, right? We call that, they're kind of cocky or they're arrogant, right? Okay. And then you have others that just have real humility. And then there's some that don't have confidence. And if you don't have confidence, often you're not able to play and lead at the ability that you are capable of. You maybe have the talent, right? But if you don't believe it up here that you have it, you don't have confidence. Confidence is a lot of it up here. It's having the belief that you can do the task that is given you. All right? And so Paul says, you know what? I don't know if they believed in themselves or not, but Paul says, I have confidence in you that God can complete his work in you and he can complete the task that he's given you. I have confidence that God is going to do that. He had confidence in God, but he also had confidence in the people of Philippi. God has confidence in you. Amen? to do the work he's called you to do. And if God, if we're able to do what God has called us to do, and we say it that way, it's going to take confidence. And it's going to take maturity in doing what God has called us to do. I don't know if Paul was always confident in his ministry. I think he had days that he really believed in himself. And then there was also probably some days that he was pretty were pretty difficult for him. But he learned the importance of being confident and the importance that God played in that. Um, and I just want to, if there's a word just maybe for some of you here today, is to be confident in what God has called you to do. If, I was, if you want to, how many feel confident in sharing your faith with Christ to somebody else? Okay, half of you maybe. Yeah. Some of you, you know you want to and you should, right, to share Christ, but it's kind of like, oh, what if I say the wrong thing, right? I'm a lot of chicken on the inside, right? Um, you know, but it, God says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to give you a boldness, right, for that confidence. And see, there's things that I think many times we want to use our gifts and talents in church, and sometimes whether it's learning the new soundboard, whether it's welcoming people, greeting, or using your gifts up front here, often there is that, okay, I have to learn that, and confidence comes through experience, but it also comes just from believing in your gifts and talents and what God's called you to do. It takes confidence, folks, to advance the kingdom of God. You can be called to do something, but if you don't have the confidence to go out there and do it, you'll never complete it, right? Because you don't believe that you can do it. And God is there. Paul was confident that God was going to accomplish his mission through the Philippian believers because God was able to do that. Amen? He knew them, and he also knew that God was going to be able to do that. Even in the midst of trials, conflict, success, experience, God was going to be faithful.
to guide and direct them. Amen? All right, number three, advancing God's kingdom takes abounding love. It takes abounding love. And I was going to use brotherly love there, but really the, the terminology is love that abounds. So it's abundant, it's plentiful, it's in large quantities. It takes abounding love. And who is God speak, who's Paul speaking to here? Is he speaking to unchurched people? No, he's speaking to believers in Philippi. And who is he calling them to abound in love towards? The world or other believers? Let your love abound towards one another, right? Another means they're brothers and sisters in Christ. If you look at Paul's writings, he will talk about loving the world. But... I would say 80% of the time he talks about love. He's talking about loving your brother and sister in Christ. Isn't that interesting? And I think that as the church, whether it is within a localized church or the church as a whole, we have to hear Paul's words to let our love abound towards one another. Let it be plentiful. Let it be abundant amongst us. I I think God challenges us at times, and we know that... um, Churches have difficulties, and it's amazing that sometimes Christians can really fight a lot, okay? They can. I know from experience, not so much in this church, but another church I was at. And how brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other and who are in this thing together can fight amongst themselves. And even in our country, right? It's amazing how we can have, there can be such a division in our country. But then when an, a, a major event comes, like a world war or something like that, we don't want any more of those, right? But when you have those events, then you unite. It's amazing how our world has united for Ukraine, right? People from all, people, a lot of them, maybe we wouldn't agree with a lot of what they believe, but there, there's this unity in helping out Ukraine. It's kind of interesting. And so sometimes we have to keep the main thing the main thing within the Church of Christ and let our love abound towards one another. And you guys are a very loving congregation, and I know you love each other, all right? But I also know that we offend each other, and that's why we have to let our love abound towards one another, amen? That there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's self-control. This is what Paul says in his other book, Ephesians. Um, 3, 17 through 19, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, I don't know how you do wide and long, all right, and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. He uses these words, right? But there's dimensions to the love of God, and as you walk with God, you, I believe you understand what true love is. It's like when you get married, Okay, so Daniel and Ella are still newlyweds, right? And I remember when I got married, I thought I loved my wife. And I did. I did. Okay? But after you've been married 20, 30 years, all of a sudden you understand that love has a lot more dimensions than you understood or recognized when you were younger. And Paul says, I, he talks about, I pray that you may abound and understand the knowledge and the depth of insight of knowing God's love so you can replicate that in your earthly relationships. 
So once we know God's love and the dimension of that, it helps us to, re- to reflect that to the world around us and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? If we're going to advance God's kingdom, it's going to take abounding love towards other people, but also towards our brother and sister in Christ. All right. Number four. This is the drum roll here. It's right at 11.10. All right. Advancing God's kingdom takes discernment. Um, discernment, we, we use that word from time to time, but it means that you have the ability to make distinctions between maybe what is bad and good. But in Paul's words, he says, I want you to discern what is good. Is that what he uses? What word does he use? Best. You know, there's some good books. The one, um, there's a book, what is it, Wendy? It says, um, from good to great, is it? Oh, what is it? It'll come, it'll come back to me. Um, but it talks about the best. You know, in the Olympics, so the Olympics just finished in, in China here. They were in January, February there. But the best athletes, athletes from around the world, right? And they all want to be number one, right? They all want to get that gold medal, put it over their neck right? But the people that probably win that are the ones that make the best choices, okay? At that level, there's probably a little difference between athletic ability. You're, you're some of the cream of the crop, but what's going to make the ultimate difference is the people that choose what is best, whether it's the best diet, whether it's the best training, um, getting their rest and things. They choose what is best, not just what is good. They have to choose what is best, right? In that book, Atomic Habits, Habits, which I shared in January there, about small improvements that make a big difference, it shares the story of David Bra- Brailsford. And so he was hired as a performance director for the 2003 British cycling team. Before that, the British cycling team was, they weren't even on the map, okay? They didn't win any at the Tour de France. They didn't win in the Olympics. Not much happening there. But he was brought in as the performance director. And so what he did is he he began making small changes that maybe would only increase their performance by maybe a half a percent or maybe a percent. Okay, they would make sure they had the right suits that um, would resist wind resistance, right? So they were better for wind resistance. Allow them to go faster. Now, that maybe wouldn't allow them to win the race, but it would increase their performance maybe by a half a percent or percent. They even looked at how they could increase the traction of their tires, um, the best seats for their bikes. They even found out the best mattresses and pillows so that they could get a good night's rest and how they could keep themselves from getting sick. And so they began to make all these small improvements, and it's called the aggregation of marginal gains. The aggregation of marginal gains. In other words, all these small things began to make a big difference to the place that then they became the dominant force in the next four or five years in the Olympics and the Tour de France. So it's a pretty incredible story. They began to make these small changes. Why? So that they could improve. But it began by they just didn't do what was good, but what was best. How does that apply to our Christian life? You know, we can... It, it probably can depend on, can involve what we do on our phones, right? Watch on TV, what we read, the people we hang out with. So are we hanging out 
in doing the good things or maybe even bad things or are we doing the best things? All right? Because those choices make a big difference. And that's why we have God's Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in that. I don't think God has called us to do that on our own, but He's given us His Word, okay, the Scripture to guide us. He's given us His Holy Spirit within our heart to know, hey, oh, that's probably not the best thing, right? And to say, hey, I want to do what is best so I can glorify God and that I can advance His kingdom. As Easter approaches, I think it's a time that uh, people are typically open to coming to church and hearing the gospel. And they can, um, it is an opportunity for us to advance God's kingdom if we link arms and we uh, do it with partnership, confidence, abounding in love and discernment. So can we apply that? Partnership means, hey, I'm going to help out with the Easter thing. So we'll just apply it this way, okay? I'm going to help out with the Easter thing, whether it's giving towards it or I'm going to stuff some Easter eggs. We're not doing nearly as many as we used to. Um, Help with a photo booth. Help in the serve breakfast for everybody, men. I'm going to have confidence. What is confidence? May- maybe I'm going to hand out, take a one or two invite cards. I'm going to invite a friend that is doesn't have a home church that needs to know about Christ. And, uh, and I'm going to take that step to invite them. That takes a little confidence. And it does get easier, folks. Trust me. If uh, I had a girlfriend that I dated and she heard that I was going into ministry and she laughed right in front of her grandma. She laughed. She goes, oh, Brent, he's too shy. So, um, you know, I, I was. I was. And I, I, I'm still kind of introverted, okay? Um, I remember the first couple times I spoke in chapel and Bible school. I mean, I, w- I was a wreck. I was a real wreck. And, you know, so... I know people, when they get up here, they're afraid to be up here, and I understand that. And I, I don't take that lightly, okay? Abounding in love. It means we put aside things and let our love abound in discernment. To live a godly life. You know, it's hard to invite and encourage other people to know Christ if you're not living it yourself. Can we be honest, right? Our, we should live our life in such a way that we can say, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian, and we invite others along the journey. Um, and you can't do that if you're not living it yourself. And so we have to do what is best. I'm going to have the musicians come. We're going to close with that course morning by morning. It's been a while since we've done it, so um, hopefully it's not too too new for you. But I, I'm just praying that God would speak to us by His Holy Spirit. And first of all, that we can know God's grace and his peace in our heart and our life we partook of communion and i pray that you've made that decision to follow christ and and that you're in a place right now where you're walking with him sometimes we can lose our way we can get off track we get distracted Um, i did that in my teenage years a little bit and i thank god for his grace and his mercy that just guide and directed me and his faithfulness in my life. Amen. Would you stand this morning? I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. and I just don't want anybody to leave here today not knowing that they have the hope of Christ in their heart and their life. It's no beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
and then just a prayer commitment as well. So would you join me in that prayer if you believe that in your heart, whether you've prayed it a million times or maybe this is the first or second time. Say, dear God, come into my heart and into my life. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you for being my Savior. And I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's sing this chorus together this morning as Denise leads us. Amen. Praise God. Just as we close, Wendy, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can Would you come forward? I would just like to pray for you as she deploys. And in my doctoral studies, I had several classmates that were part of the chaplaincy program. And since it was in Virginia Beach, Norfolk area, uh, a lot of them were working on their doctoral work. And But they would share just their stories, just working with our military. And it's there's a lot of temptation for the men and women as they're separated from their spouses at sea and things like that. And there's just a lot of temptation. And Wendy's just going to have some pretty incredible opportunities just to share Christ and to be that light. And You know, I, I just see this as a prophetic word almost that God just gives you the confidence and and, uh, and just places His Spirit upon you just to be a blessing to those that God puts in your pathway. So maybe reach out a hand and, uh, and just, just pray for Wendy this morning. Lord, I just thank you for Wendy. Lord God, I thank you for the work you've done in her life, and just as you've prepared her each step along the way, just growing up in missions with her folks and, and uh, just her work at uh, Assemblies of God Bible College and even teammates and all this, Lord God, you've been working in her life to prepare her for this moment and this time. And, and Lord God, as just she's deployed and, and uh, for months away from f- friends and family, I just pray that you would renew her spirit each and every day, each morning, and that her, your presence and your spirit is upon her life and, and that as she's able to minister to men and women there, Lord God, you would just let Christ shine through her, Lord God, and to, to people that need to hear the message and need guidance and direction in their lives, Lord God, at crucial moments. And I just pray your anointing upon her life, Lord God. And Lord, we just ask in your precious and holy name. And, and Lord, I pray for each one of us here, Lord God, as we leave this place. Lord God, we enter the mission field and whether it's work or whether it's going to the grocery store or going to school, Lord God, we are surrounded by people that do not have the light of Christ in their life. They don't have the hope. And Lord God, you've placed us there for a reason, Lord God, to share Christ, Lord God, to advance your kingdom here on earth. And Lord, uh, I just pray that um, you just go before us and that we can hear the words of Paul and be obedient to you, Lord God. Lord God, it's not just us, Lord God, it's your spirit flowing through us. And so, Lord God, go with us this day. Let us be a blessing to others this week. And may you bless us with your love. May you lavish it on us, I pray. We give you the thanks and the praise we ask in your name. And everybody said, hey, God bless you this morning. Greet each other. And God bless you.